This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Dashran Johan. Tindak Malaysia is an NGO focused on promoting democracy, good governance and active citizen participation in Malaysia. At their core, they believe that we need to fix our electoral system before we can properly fix anything else. So joining me on the show today is Danish Prakash Chako. He's the director at Tindak Malaysia. Oh, welcome to the show, Danish. How are you? Thank you uh, for inviting me and I'm doing well. Okay, um, let's start from the basics. Um, what is Tindak Malaysia? What is this organization all about? Tindak Malaysia is an electoral reform organization, a non-governmental organization that focuses heavily about the election process and also how to reform this electoral uh, election process. So that involves everything ranging from the conduct of elections to postal voting to redelineation and ultimately changing the constitution. Hopefully, we facilitate a new electoral system. Right. So what was the inspiration behind the founding of the organization? First of all, I'd like to clarify, I'm not the founder of right. Tindak Malaysia, but my fellow director is the founder, Wong Pyong Yao. He founded mm-hmm. Tindak Malaysia in 2008, specifically after GE12. I think there was realization at that time that it is important that the election should be conducted in a free and fair manner. And we narrowed down at that time to focus about the conduct of elections within the voting stream on the Saluran in Bay. This is where we felt that there was irregularities. And for me, yes, while voter turnout, turnout is an important matter, I feel there's one more issue more important than to that, is to ensure the processes is done with integrity. Because it's one thing to show up to vote, but if you have an electoral outcome that does not match reflect reflection of the will of the people, then it makes the process redundant. And it's a danger to our democracy. And it has already happened. So we decided back in 2008 to start this movement. The first to train what we call polling agent and counting agents, the election monitors. to not to just observe, but to object any irregularities on the go so that the election process is done in free and fair manner. So that was back in 2008. So it is a volunteer-driven movement as of then and until today also. Right. Um, you, you brought up very interesting. It's 2008. 2008 is indeed a, a very interesting year in Malaysian political history um, because it's the year that, you know, we had the first like sort of big swing towards opposition. Five states were held by the opposition. Um, it, it was a very monumental moment. What can you tell me about the public consciousness among Malaysians at the time and what made y'all ultimately go, especially your founder, um, if you have, uh, if you're privy to that information, that, you know, made y'all go, now we need to do this. This is this is the right time. This is, uh, I will be upfront, it's a complicated question because I only joined Tinder Malaysia in 2013, five years All after right. this uh, monumental change that took place. But I will explain the 2008 election tsunami is a turning point mm-hmm. uh, that you have clearly mentioned. And for that, it also coincided that some of the events that taken place before, you reflect about the 2007 Bursi rally, the Indra rally, people's consciousness has woken up and time for action. One thing is to be aware, but it's time for action. If you look at the name Tindak Malaysia, it's <laughs> Malaysia action. It's not just being aware. Okay. So for that time, the vacant, so the possibility of change of government was already start coming into our mindset. So f- at that time, we already start. We already know there are already problems with our electoral 
processes. You know, it's it has irregularities taking place. Question is, how do you combat it? So I think that is the reason why the this movement came about as a response to this. So you said you joined in 2013, another interesting year. I think from, from GE 12, 13, and then 14, you know, uh, Barisan National um, fell after the people's will. But it, but it was a momentum, right? It, it's, you know, some say it started in 1998. Um, why did you decide to join in 2013? Why, why this specific, um, this specific organisation? First of all, uh, at that time, I was actually based in Australia. So I actually joined Tinder mm. Melissa remotely from Australia. Right. So before that, I was quite involved with very activism-related uh, matters in Australia. One way or another, eventually that drawn me to the topics of Malaysian-related activism. Uh, to specifically, I will credit Sayana Bangsa Malaysia, the Australian chapter, SABM Australia. So they had activities, uh, forums leading to GE30. Okay. And that time was a push about how do we get Malaysians uh, to be voters uh, and exercise the right to vote from the from the countries where they are currently residing. And at that time, we must understand in 2012, one uh, after the bir massive Bursa rally, uh, something took place very important. For the first time, overseas Malaysians, beyond the restricted classes of overseas Malaysians, were given the right to vote from the embassies and the consulates. And if you ask me, my my first ever experience of voting was actually in Australia as an overseas Malaysian voter. I didn't vote here before. Right. I voted from... If you ask me, that was uh, was one of the key awakening moments for me. This is back in 2013. I remember I had to queue up, queue up for four hours just to get my chance to vote. Okay. This is... I believe the voting was done in April 2013 and then we had the May 2013 elections and in G13, we saw Barisan National lost the popular vote, mm -hmm. uh, but the possibility of change of government was taken away. Okay. A few months down the road, I noticed Sino Bangsa Malaysia, uh, post Australia chapter, posted in a, an ad on their Facebook saying that Tinder Malaysia is looking for volunteers for redelineation, uh, specifically those who have skills in mapping, Excel, IT, law background, or just anyone who's willing to learn. Okay. And because I come from mapping background, that really drawn upon for me. So I approached them. I approached Wyasana Bangsa Malaysia, saying that I'm actually interested to help this movement. So that's how I joined Tinder Malaysia. As a matter of fact, probably this month is my 10 years with Tinder Malaysia because of this. So I joined Tinder Malaysia as a volunteer. And my specific focus at that time was for radialination. Because after the GE talk, for Tinder Malaysia, the focus was a lot about the polling agent, counting agent. But few years down the road, we came to that conclusion that how much effort you put up to secure the electoral integrity on the polling day, actually the election outcome is pretty much fixed beforehand through the drawing of electoral boundaries. So that is when around 2011 or 2012, Tinder Malaysia's volunteers started to learn about redelineation and started to find ways not only just to say what is wrong, but to produce what we call counter-proposal. Because around 2011 or so, we already realized that it was time for Peninsular Malaysia to be facing the potential redelineation exercise because eight years has elapsed from the previous exercise. So we started the preparation work from 2011, 2012 onwards, and I joined in in 2013. 
talk to me a little bit more about um, the, the, your political awakening because I think most people um, in the activism scene, um, even if you're in political journalism and, and so on and so forth, they probably you know go through phases. Um, they probably remember a particular moment. It may not be a moment, but perhaps a period in their life which then made them go, okay, um, you know, this is serious or I find this interesting, like I need to do something. What was your moment of political awakening that made you a more political conscious person, but also made you want to be a more politically active person? I think that has to do when, when I went uh, to, to do my studies in Australia in 2009. So I, right away, I took interest in Australian activism. But I did not get involved with the Malaysian-related matters. So my focus at that time, because I was a very pessimistic person about Malaysian politics at that time, uh, which to a certain degree, I am still right now. Okay. Okay. So at that time, my focus was about Australian-related activism. So if you ask me, there was the awareness jumped quickly to action. But as I continued on working with the Australian-related activism, one way or another, it gets related to Malaysian NGOs who operate over there, and Melbourne being the biggest Malaysian city out of Malaysia, will, will be a very conducive place for if one wants to venture into Malaysian NGOs. So eventually, I was invited to join Malaysian-related activities by my friends, uh, specifically about the issues related to Malaysian politics. So for me, at that time, I just started as a participant. Later, I got more involved, like more at a committee level, with Sainabangsa Malaysia as the years went down the road. So that's very interesting. You brought that the pessimistic, um, that, to us, that you were very pessimistic at that time. You're still a little bit pessimistic now. So two questions to that, right? Number one, what made you slightly more optimistic, I guess, if you're saying you're slightly less pessimistic than before? And number two, if you're pessimistic, why do you do what you do? Okay, so back, let's go back to back in 2008 and 2009. Mm-hmm. Okay, at that time, yes, I was aware about this this huge thing of, the, of five state governments falling into the opposition. But I made a conclusion that at some stage, the opposition who rule the state governments eventually will become like the federal government. Right. The day. Which for me, I was a bit surprised. I thought it would take maybe what? 50 years to, for that to happen. But when I look back, and even even then, also, I was a bit surprised. It actually came down. It, they quickly morphed into the what it is like the federal government within a few years. So for me, that time in 2008 and nine, for me, Pakatan Rakyat at that time is not necessarily as big, as big difference as Barisan National. So that actually kind of shut me off my interest from actually getting involved with Malaysian-related activism. But as the years went by, as my views had changed, which I can't remember why, I took interest in the Malaysian uh, politics. And then I started to attend the events of Sayana Bangsa Malaysia Australia chapter. And I think then the, the, the turning point was that experience of voting in in the Melbourne uh, Malaysian High Court. Commission for GE13. And then subsequently, because Anabangsa uh, Malaysia chapter is very much also related to Versailles, also, I was also uh, was drawn by the rallies of 2015 and also uh, 2016. So that was the case. And at that time, you bear in mind the possibility of change of government was there. So, and if you ask me when I look back, 
even that also kind of kept the momentum for Tindak Malaysia volunteers because we are securing all this election process so that one day we can experience a change of government and then see how we go from that. Okay, and that was the case until all the way to G fourteen. Okay, now now let's fast forward to what's happening right now because mm -hmm. for me now that I have returned back to Malaysia, I have seen what is the societal values and I seen where the country is heading to. I see what the various political parties, uh, how they approach things. I see how the Malaysian society responds to NGOs, works and everything. I have been grown pessimistic, uh, particularly from GE15 onwards. So if you ask me why I'm still doing this, I mean, now I'm not just a volunteer. I'm now the director of Tinder Malaysia. I'm mm -hmm. the leader of this organization. For me, I have volunteers I need to serve. And... And for them, at this point, they've not only seen the change of government. For me now, is they have to be the agents of change in the new era. Yeah. And I think most of us are still not fully acquainted what this new era amounts to. It means how you should get involved, how you should, your mentality. And if you ask me why I'm doing this at this point, is specifically so that my volunteers can start progressing in the agents of change. I have a long-term vision for them. I may not be at the final end of where this is going to be, and it's perfectly okay. Malaysia is polarised. Um, you talk about the events um, since GE15. I think GE15 really signalled to the people, um, especially people who did not expect um, this result, right? It, it signalled to the people that Malaysia is polarised now more than they've ever been, at least electorally. As someone who works on improving democratic processes, electoral reform, how do you read this polarization? First of all, with all this polarization happens, it makes very difficult to carry out deeply needed reforms. And for me, in this country, we can argue so many reforms. Education reform and economic reform, environment reform, cultural reform. How do we relate to various uh, ethnicities and belief systems and everything? But if you ask me one particular reform that is a bit easy, quite easy to implement, but has a profound change of all the other reforms I talked about, is our electoral system. Okay, first of all, the topic of electoral system change is not new. We had a parliamentary select committee back in 2011 and 12. We looked about how do we reform, and yes, I do credit the movements of the past, and which is still going on right now. For example, Bursay, or the work within the Malaysia we did, the work that Global Bursay have done before, all facilitated the reforms that we see today. For example, a better election commission, while it requests improvements, an expansion of postal voting, a more cleaner conduct of elections. Uh, if you ask me, these are what I call low-hanging fruits that are not very controversial. You know, so if you ask me, because with this polarization, we don't, we are not able to have the intellectual space, the capacity on taking on in this low-hanging fruits. I mean, there's a lot of campaigns that we do, Global Base do, Undi Lapamblas do, Engage do, Berse as a coalition, all the various organizations are doing. But for us, that gets sidelined time to time because we are so focused on other reforms which are more divisive in nature. 
On the show with me today is Danish Prakash Chako, he's the director at Tindak Malaysia. We continue our conversation after the break. Keep it here on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Danish Prakash Chako. He's the director of Tindak Malaysia. So, Danish, what are the challenges that you know you face, that Tindak Malaysia faces? When it comes to pushing for, let's say, electoral reforms, like you said, it's these low-hanging fruits that is technically not controversial. Um, you know, it could be um, some of the, you know, examples you gave. It could be, you know, something that you are very passionate about, which is the whole um, combating um, malapportionment and gerrymandering and, and all of these things, right? What are the challenges that you face when you try to push for this? So I would like to divide these challenges both external and also internal. Right. So let's talk about external first. Okay. With external, there's many actors that I need to highlight the challenges. First, we'll talk about political parties or members uh, who yeah, of parliament. You know, First of all, for them, some of them were at the receiving the negative end of all the irregularities, the unfairness. But once they came across to the government side, suddenly they realize they can game the system and the incentive for reform is limited. And I can tell you up front, we missed the golden opportunities to actually start inserting right, more right-minded individuals, reform individuals within our election commission. You know, there was some vacancies in the uh, commissioner space. This was golden opportunities for this reform government today we have to put right-minded individuals. Unfortunately, we I personally see the ones they have put up uh, recently uh, doesn't match to our expectations, but I'll still give them a space. Okay, I'll still give VC the chance to, to show a different face. Okay, because the EC today we have, irrespective of the flaws, is much better than one before G40. Right. Okay, I want, to give, I want to give credit where it is due. Okay, so this is from the political actor's point of view. Then I look from the civil society point of view. I mean, for us, Tinder Malaysia, for everyone's information, we uh, we are an endorsing org organization to a Bursay coalition. We are a member to Kabungan Batinda uh, Malaysia, which is uh, a coalition of that is multi-religious, multi-ethnic, multi-focus uh, grouping, and also uh, a member for the coalition of Malaysian NGOs for the Universal Periodic uh, Review, Komango. Okay, so. Versailles is very clear for me. It's uh, They are very focused on electoral and also institutional reform. So we do uh, liaise with them time to time with, with our differences of stance too uh, about what needs to be taken. So that's uh, one way. Okay, so within civil society, we must see there will be difference of stance, difference of opinions on how we look at things. So that would be a challenge. I think it's still ex uh, acceptable. Okay, then when we go to other coalitions who are who have more where bigger view of human rights and bigger view of all the various issues. I see the topic about election reform is not very strongly taken notice. So even I would say that is a challenge within the civil society because we can have educational groups. We have groups focusing on different interracial harmony. You know, if you ask me, these are issues that is both divisive and very attractive. I'll be upfront. Huh? Election reform is actually a boring topic. Right. It is dry, it's boring and technical. But if you ask me again, like I mentioned, it's a low-hanging fruit that one you should just take and just implement. 
is less controversial. Now, that's from a civil society uh, challenge. Now, let's talk about the public. Mm-hmm. I look at the public engagement on the topics that we have raised. I look at, just look at how people respond to Tinder Malaysia's Twitter page or even our Facebook page. I can see it is uh, quite depressing, uh, exception on few occasions, because we have really pushed for everyone to time to time subscribe and like to our YouTube channel because we have just one playlist, A to Z, for how you want to be an effective election monitor, polling agent, counting agent. We spend our own resources to build that. I still see the interest is still limited, even though the videos are short, because we have contextualized that for the current social needs. Okay. If you look at our Facebook page, we put things that opens your mind about the issues about redelineation, the issues about postal voting, the issues about Pacha and everything. I still see the take-up is low. Uh, yes, one is because we have moved, because the Malaysia Facebook page, I believe, started during where Facebook was very popular. And now it's we are in a different era. But I would still say a lot of people who are interested in this topic is not necessarily the younger generation. It's the generations who have woken up because of GE12 and GE30. Okay, So I do hope that they actually do take interest in our Facebook pages post. Okay, So that is from the... Uh, so I can see the society's interest is very weak. You, know? you can have flashes of time of postal voting right now, which is a, props up an issue on and off. I think that is a good topic, but I tell you, your interest will die out after this, after this election. So this is what I call external challenges. Now we're talking about internal challenges. Right. First of all, uh, within Tinder Malaysia, I inherited what I call a volunteer-driven organization, and I choose to keep it in this way uh, for various reasons. And for me, first thing is, what is the major challenge of volunteer is the commitment. Yes, the commitment was very strong, be it in G12, GE13, because is it because they are the possibility of change of government, the, the drive towards that goal was very strong, and suddenly we crossed the path in G14. Thereafter, we missed the site. Uh, it's not just this is what I tell. I'm still enforcing the message to our volunteers. You know, it's not just about conducting elections within the Saloran. You know, you should start seeing things bigger. You know, you start exploring things bigger. Because for me, my volunteers have already given different opportunities to grow. For me, my philosophy and to address this internal challenge, and I find very difficult to address, is when a volunteer is able to see they can grow in their skills, naturally the contribution will come out. And when the contribution come out, I will see the report. And it's happened before, and I would like to see more. But the volunteers must understand that in order for you to grow, you cannot wait for me to prod you. Either I will invite you, I will put the invitation out, you take it and take it on the go. You need to sometimes have to displace your personal priorities a bit for you to grow. Okay, those who do that, I can see they grow and they will continue to grow. Okay, so if you ask me, that's one major internal challenge is dealing with volunteers, is their commitment to it. Okay, uh, secondly, um, volunteers' knowledge capacity. I need to, I've been investing time and time and time again, reinvesting either with some of my other volunteers to really embed the knowledge about the electoral system, the redelineation, the polling agent, counting agent, the Pomahati, the postal voting, because you need to keep up with the times. We are not back in G12 and G13, where we have a lot of irregularities. We are in the post-G14 era. So where we need to start talking about things have changed. So how when the things change, 
your mindset needs to change. So this is something that are the challenges I face. Danish, I sympathize with the people who perhaps are not very enthusiastic or energetic about electoral reform. I mean, I'm personally very passionate about it. But speaking to a lot of people, like you said, there are what many perceive as bigger fish to fry, right? Um, economic issues, um, you know, daily bread and butter issues, human rights issues, refugee crisis, and, and all of these things. Now we have the climate crisis. But you say that electoral reforms are, in a way, like the mother of everything, right? If you solve that, you get to sort of fix a lot of other problems. Can you explain that to me? Okay. This electoral system is basically, is how do you channel your votes into who forms the government? So this becomes a governance, eventually it's a governance problem. From the governance, we flow out there. Questions about hand in education, ethnicity, environment, economy, you name it, everything else. Okay. So for me, who forms the government eventually will dictate the terms on how all the other issues come into play and how does the society relate to Now we have a first past the post system. Okay. Our first past the post system was conceived for our country back in the time when the population was largely illiterate. Uh, and also the society was very divided and the need of a, a stable government, very important. A stable government was very need, very important at that time. Even though I will be upfront, we had the possibility of having a different electoral system back in the 50s. Okay. So what has happened over the years, first past the post system, being simple, eventually got distorted, manipulated, because it's simple. So you can easily distort and manipulate through a gerrymandering through malapportionment, irregularities in the conduct of elections, the irregularities in the electoral roll, you just need it. Okay. So all of this eventually created a former government that eventually start clamping down on human rights, start clamping the uh, start impacting our education, start impacting on how we do an economy, how we view value of environment. The possibility of change of government wasn't there. So you you know you want to talk about, let's say you want to push for a stronger uh, positions on environmental reform. Back then, if you were to do that, you only have one option who is going to always rule. So then your ability to, to see through that change, that environmental change that you see, it's obstructed. And even to a certain degree, even now I would say it's obstructed because our first past the post system eventually always favors larger parties, whoever. I just, I'm not going to name who because every electoral cycle will yield a different set of who is the larger party. Right. So that stifles the ability for you to focus on education, the education change, economic change. And also, I will be upfront, first-past-the-post system was supposed to moderate the tensions between different ethnicities. Unfortunately, it is facilitating on the other direction because all the one aspect is because we keep on distorting and manipulating, but then you have a government that is formed by this system that's going in one direction. So we ended up with this. So if we change the electoral system, then it op opens up the possibility for different forms of governance through political parties in this realm who can explore different angles and implement different viewpoints in education, environment, economy. So if you ask me, this is what Acupuncture is, the low-hanging fruit. And if, to a certain degree, 
that is your starting point. You fix the electoral system and everything around it, then we can start looking into all of this. Yes, it is boring and dry and technical, but if you want to focus about an economy first, you want to fix on the environment first without fixing this, we're stuck. And that's what we are. Does it give you more hope or less hope that when it comes to this particular issue, most countries are in the same boat? And I mean that in the sense of public interest. Some countries have made massive strides, um, you know, like Scandinavian countries, New Zealand, so on and so forth. But even if you look at um, the UK, they had a massive um, election system reform referendum. The referendum did not pass. Um, if you look at the US, it's not the first past the post spe- specifically, but it follows that same format. The Electoral College is a winner-takes-all system. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily try to compare Malaysian situation with other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say the examples you've given, for example, UK and US. Uh, for me, especially when I stayed in Australia, they have a slightly better electoral system, but unfortunately, it always favors the two larger parties. Yep. So in the end, they also, I will be upfront, even that mm-hmm. time, even now, there's always a race to the bottom when it comes to their economic policies and especially how they deal with racial matters. So I wouldn't be comparing Malaysia with these countries also. Right. Okay. So when it comes to question of hope, how they, at this given point of time, I personally don't have much hope. Mm-hmm. But for me, even without hope, Inaction is not the answer for me. At best, I would say personally, is how do we arrest the decline of this country so that we give the space in future, when I'm not necessarily need to be the leader of Indonesia at that time, where the potential of resetting or reforming the country takes place. Now, one of the things we need to look is the example of South Africa. Now, one of the big things why South Africa was able to eventually transition smoothly from the apartheid regime to post-apartheid is actually they took a decisive measure to ditch the first-past-the-post system and they went completely one direction. They went from first-past-the-post straight to proportional. Right. But at the municipal level, they opted well for a mixed system. Mm-hmm. So you retain the first-past-the-post system. And the reason when, and time to time, we highlight this on April the 27th, which is the South Africa's Freedom Day, which we do on our Facebook page and Twitter, is that change of electoral system allowed that smooth transition of that, the new era for them. So for Malaysia's case, okay, I don't know what will eventually facilitate the change. One way to look at it is we may have to crash and in the process of crash, we have to reset. And sometimes it's in the crashing of a system, you're going to have the reset in the electoral system. In the short term and in the long term, and short term, I mean PRN, that's coming up in, in a couple of months' time. Long term, I mean, you know, looking ahead at the next GE, um, the GE after that. What are the key things that you're focused on and prioritizing? You see, when I, the electoral system changes, Something we already start discussing already. Mm-hmm. We have discussed this before with the previous governments, and we also recently uh, tabled that to the Parliamentary Select Committee uh, about our idea about changing the electoral system. Uh, that's more for the longer term. But let's talk about something of the short term. Okay, so I've talked about some of the areas uh, that Tinder Malaysia focuses, and I would just probably just summarize it to let's say three or four realms. So one is one realm is if you ask me among all the three, is that really the low hanging. The three P's, 
for our volunteers and those who are interested. Pacha, pemahati, and petugas. Hmm. Pacha, pemahati, petugas, the three Ps. For us, I don't care which electoral system, proportional lah, mixed member lah, or first past the post. One of the things we need to understand is if the elections is not done with integrity on the voting day, it, the outcome of this electoral system doesn't matter at all. So for us, we are still heavily focused on our roots. That's one is Pacha. But we have already opened up avenues for our volunteers to start progressing because it's, we have gone past that era of G12 and G3. Right. Now you have options to be election observers. Now we can help EC. We're not going to confront EC like last time. Now we have a driven EC. So with the Pumahati, we observe elections. And with the Pumahati, our focus is very specific. Recently, it's more the postal voting and also the conduct of elections, how it is being administered on the voting day from an observer point of view. Then this is a very big thing for us since the change of government took place in G14, Portugas. You know, when we talk about polling staff, historically, everyone would say, oh, it's all usually uh, is dominantly made up by government, civil servants. Yeah, that's true. That's by tradition, not by law. So after G14, we saw an opening. And since then, we started to insert our people through that system. And it's when we inserted our people through that system, and these are people with extensive experience in polling agent counting agents. So they have seen from the point of an election monitor, now they're going to be part of that election administrator. Finally, they understood why all the problems, all these years. Because once they were in the system, they saw where the problems is. And from that, we started to work with the election commission step by step to improve the process. Okay, so from 2019 all the way to GE15, we have fielded 40 Ketua uh, Tempat Mengundis, presiding officers, uh, and also Kerani Pengundi, uh, polling clubs. Okay, so that's what we did. And for this coming state elections, we are doing the same thing. We are, uh, we are also fielding uh, various polling stuff. Not only just the two I mentioned, KTM and Kerani Pengundi, even uh, the electoral role clerks, Kerani Penyemak, Daftar Pemilih, Pemandu, Arapusa Pengundi, the one who helps directing the voters. This is what I tell my people. You know, we are still up a big challenge because we are actually, the roles are actually not advertised. So we actually do a lot of door knocking to find the vacancy. Right. But once you get into the system, then you can start growing. And from there, from you grow, you bring the reform. And if you ask me, among the Pacha, Pamati, and Patugas, in this just within this realm, the most effective move to reform the election system we have right now is the Portugas. If we have the right people and influence the ECs training in the right direction, which we are doing all these years, that, that is why you hear less irregularities in G15. And to the point I would say at this point, if you hear irregularities, I'm not blaming EC anymore. I would blame that specific person who did this, be it our own people or someone outside. I don't blame EC for it because I've seen their training has really improved. Absolutely. Okay, so that is the three piece. Okay. And if you ask me, these are the main focus for the PRM. Okay. Then moving forward, okay, this is more of the longer term. Mm -hmm. We talk about redelineation. Okay. Time to time, we will do uh, educationals about redelineation. I will be upfront. Redelineation among all these topics is very technical. Okay. So even we do webinars about it. I notice even people having a hard time to understand the concepts and we are actually 
looking redelineation right now from a historical point of view to understand why we ended up with all of this, the mess we have of malapportionment, gerrymandering, uh, insufficient polling centers. We go back in history, and if you and you can go back to our Facebook pages, and you can you learn redelineation where even academics don't even discuss. You know, so so and it's actually in a way for our volunteers to understand why we stand on certain things. It's when we look at the history. I finally understood why Tinder Malaysia stood very strongly about malapportionment, or how do we fix gerrymandering, and how do we move forward. So we will continue still doing that, and you will see Facebook posts, time to time Twitter. We will will highlight all these sort of issues, and from that, we also push the concept of open electoral data. So where we will push out data sets for you as as an individual to start exploring redelineation, why some seats are bigger than the other, what are the patterns, or does the electoral system facilitate the diversity of the candidates? Because our open electoral data, when we put the election results for the recent cycles, you only don't only know who wins the seat, uh, which party wins the seat. We will tell you who is the person, what's the gender, what is the age. So you have an understanding. Does the electoral system facilitate the diversity or not? If the answer is no, then it's time to start thinking what what needs to be done next. And recently, we just pushed out our analysis for postal voting, so that we have put out uh, on our Twitter and later we will put on Facebook. So that's something we are focused. So this is long term awareness, so that people know that this system needs to change. And eventually, and and this is something is being done in the third round, is the constitutional then the regulation the acts change means. We not only change the electoral system towards a mixed member proportional, that's the end goal, but in the interim, we have decided to focus, okay, maybe we should look at mixed member majoritarian, simpler. Then we go MMM, MMP, proportional. So, and with that, how do we refine our conduct of elections, our postal voting, even like postal voting, I would say it's both short-term and long-term. So, postal voting, in May, we compiled and summarized all our reports and passed it to EC. And one of the things we told EC is get the overseas Malaysians classified as postal voters as early as possible. And I think through the efforts of all the civil society, we got that through for this PRN. So if you ask me, that was a small victory for all of us. Not like uh, G15, three days before the dissolution, overseas Malaysians are now become postal voters. Now it's like weeks before the dissolution, we already have overseas Malaysians eligible to be a postal voter. So this is some of the things that we are working on. And also through this, we work with all the allied groups who share the similar views on how to bring about these reforms. So one thing, uh, one thing that NGOs usually need is they need a lot of public support. What kind of support would you all uh, would y'all need right now? First and foremost, something I will not run away with it is finance. <laughs> money, money, money. Okay. Uh, I... Personally, I don't uh, agree that we should take all any NGO work, irrespective of which realm the environment, economy, or environment, any of this, as though it's a free or charge service. You know, time to time we tell uh, via Twitter, via Facebook, we do need our financial help. Absolutely. And I make it clear because Tinder Malaysia is registered as a company. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to use the term donation or contribution. I give you even specific terms for you to use it. You know, if when the time comes, we put open election data, I'll tell you, yes, scan the QR code, 
and then just contribute but using the terms i given to you mm-hmm. because for us it even i do open election data it takes hours at least 4 5 hours worth of work and most of the time i'm just doing as a free public service mm-hmm. but it's not sustainable and i have also volunteers i need to take care and i don't personally believe even my volunteers should do this foc so that is one of the things that i want the public to genuinely appreciate i uh, for me genuine appreciation is not saying thank you for me thank you doesn't pay anything the best way to thank us but the best way to support us to move forward when the time comes for financial contribution you just support us okay you just follow our instructions there will be time and i will be announcing soon we will be selling some of our items that is needed for the pilanray negri don't just retweet or like i need action because tinda malaysia you know the word the very first word is not <laughs> malaysia is tinda first you start with action if you want to see reform in malaysia Before we wrap this conversation up, Danish, would you have a final message for us? While voting is important, I think it is important for all Malaysians to take the question about our election system very seriously, because it will dictate where our country will head to not only five years, but ten years, fifteen years, and the generations to come. We have paid the price of inaction on the failure of changing this right at the beginning. in order to stop the decline of this country let us support every movement including us and all the allied groups in the most tangible way to bring about the reforms that we badly need for our election system thank you thank you so much for joining me today danish that was danish prakash chako director at tindak malaysia if you missed any part of our conversation you can also check us out on podcast we're available on the bfm app bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from i'm darshan yohan and this has been good things bfm 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app